Welcome to the Monday Morning Tears Cast, the first, best, and only podcast about the Monday Morning Tears Fantasy Football Leagues. I am your host, as always, and also current Redraft League champion, Daniel Kite. Get ready to hear that all year, folks. It's going to be a real fun ride. And uh, so happy to be back here chatting with the first podcast of the 2022-2023 fantasy football season. Uh, You know, we're going to go through both leagues today. Uh, And, you know, uh, as much as I am a podcast degenerate, uh, I don't think we're going to be doing different podcasts uh, for the league this year. You know, once once Paul starts spreading the word a bit more and we can start to monetize this bad boy, I can I can quit being a teacher and I can then move on to being a full-time podcaster and fantasy footballer. Uh, but until that time, what we'll likely do is we'll kind of go back and forth between the Dynasty and the Redraft Leagues. Obviously, there's some member crossover uh, between those two. So, you know, we'll be able to have players who can speak to both uh, any given week. Uh, but for now... Uh, we're here to talk about some of the early action we're seeing in these leagues uh, because Dynasty Draft is only, uh, you know, eight days away, really, at this point. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot about Dynasty Draft strategy, some of the players that, uh, you know, are catching our eyes and guys that we're thinking about staying away from. And then the Redraft League, we might chat a little bit about keepers and the same thing, kind of guys that we're not really interested in or interested in more. Uh, and to join me to do that, you know, there's no one else I would expect to be on the podcast at this point in the season. Uh, he's maybe the only other fantasy degenerate, at least talking about fantasy uh, more than I am in this league. Uh, he has tried to usurp me as host of this podcast many times before and will likely continue to try. Uh, joining me on the podcast uh, this year, this week to start us out this year, uh, we have reigning uh, last place in the standings finalist in our redraft league. We've got Spitting Llamas manager Mikey Campos, def- the, the deputy podcast host of this great podcast. Mikey, how are you doing this fine evening? Okay, well, well, well. just to start off, I might have come last during the regular season, but I did not win the Butthurt Bowl trophy. That has to be established and very clear. Yeah. Oh, I am yes. not hold on, hold on, guys. I didn't get the good thing, but I did definitely finish last during the season. Wait, wait to clarify that for everyone, Mikey. It, it just has to be out there and clarified. Uh, I am not the first person to go back to back, but hurt bowl trophy winner. So uh, that is nice. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely nice to get back onto the podcast, especially uh, you know at this time of the season in June when uh, it's very, very not fantasy football relative. Uh, when you try to find and scurry over the internet for any news, all you really have is any fluff pieces from uh, random reporters during OTAs. Uh, but it's definitely nice to get back into fantasy um, and talk about it and redraft uh, and do some mock drafts and, and start really getting into the groove of things. Uh, it's always nice to be looking at it uh, all year round, and it's obviously always nice to be able to talk about it. So it's a different change to be doing this in, in the month of June. Yeah, and, and full disclosure too. Like, there's no one else who'd be doing this podcast with me right now. 
because Mikey and I realized half an hour into actually recording the podcast that we hadn't actually started recording it yet. Uh, so we're we're just giving it a second run this time around, but we're going to hope to try and bring the same energy that we did the first time around. So if you notice us uh, speeding through or maybe jumping over points, that's probably why. But uh, Mikey, I appreciate you being a trooper and sticking this out with me because I know our, our members are going to appreciate it. Or they're going to get the second take of what we're already going to say, and it's going to be a lot more clear, a lot more processed, and a lot more easier to understand. <laughs> That's very optimistic. I like where your head's at. Uh, so so let's go with that right now. Let's start by thinking about Dynasty. It's what's at the head of many of our minds right now. Uh, let's talk about some of the action that we've seen so far. So we saw, we've seen a lot of trade movement since uh, pick trading and trades start opening up. Uh, the draft order is set. Uh, still more trades coming, I am sure, but definitely been a much quieter uh, the past few days. Uh, Mikey, what's your uh, view of the landscape right now? How are you s- interpreting these trades? What are you, what are you seeing kind of in the tea leaves moving forward? Yeah, so uh, it's a lot more, or it has been a lot more active than I originally thought we would see uh, going b- into the draft. Like way more trades than I anticipated. Um, pre-draft which is kind of make me wonder what kind of trades are going to happen during the actual draft itself um but i think it kind of really all started with uh actually your trade that you made uh i think it was that you traded uh traded away your second round pick for something for next year i believe and it kind of set the marker tone yeah so the, the trade was i received uh, a third round pick and a future second round pick uh, for next year, and then gave away my second round pick and my fifth round pick, uh, which really looking back on it, I was chatting with uh, Danny and a couple other people about this. Uh, almost within like a day or two, I realized just kind of like, oh, fuck me. I really fucked that trade up uh, because I think I really overvalued those future picks and what they were going to be worth. Um, but, you know, maybe you can speak on that a little bit. What are, what are you seeing the value of future picks being worth, uh, you know, with that trade, after that trade, without that trade, et cetera, et cetera? What, do you, what are you thinking about the value of future picks? Yeah, I, I think with that trade that you made, which I, I, to be honest, wasn't a good trade on your end, in my opinion, was it, it really set the market or tone for what future picks would be worth. And in my opinion, when you are starting up a draft uh, for a dynasty league, um, like you, you got to draft as as the world's your oyster right now. Uh, don't worry about the future future picks because it's going to be all rookies. Um, even though this is a, a new dynasty league for a lot of us uh, here, um, just based off of research and for you know general other folks who are in dynasty leagues, the general rule of thumb is that when you are doing the rookie drafts, um, you don't really get much after the second round. It's it's a really a wild card after the second round. It's really the first round. Uh, so when you are drafting away like good, valuable picks right now uh, for future picks that could be wild cards, I, I think it's actually less of a value. It might sound juicy, ooh, second round pick of of next year, but it really is just rookies, and you got to keep that in mind. Um, so it's kind of just odd to see some of the landscape. Like when you see the the numerous amount of trades and who's been trading right now, you have different. Uh, different ends of the spectrum i'll give you an example for me i drafted away my 2023 first pick 
third pick, second pick, and and some middle picks uh, in this year to really move up and get another second round and third round pick. So I really stacked up for for elite players in the first three rounds, but I kind of gave up a little bit of depth by losing my my fourth, uh, fifth, and sixth round pick. But then you have somebody else in the league aka Steve, who gave up quite a lot of valuable picks for this draft, but really loaded up in the first round pick for for 2023. And it's just kind of odd to see because it's like uh, you have good young studs now in the startup that you can build your team around. Um, But you kind of gave that up for more mediocre picks and a lot of future rookie picks for next year. So it's, it's just curious to see both ends of the spectrum of how people are valuing picks and how they're uh, trying to envision their team and how they want to draft for this for this dynasty draft. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, what I'm curious, I'll, I'll have a question for you then. Like, this kind of connects to uh, one of the things I'm really curious about is just kind of like how many trades do you think we're going to see in the actual draft itself like once the draft opens uh you know july june 25th uh you know what kind of trading do you think we're going to see at that point or or do you see yourself even trading like how how inclined might you be to uh maybe trade back uh in the draft to kind of recoup some of that draft capital uh that you've given up there do you think that could be something you're interested in or are you locked and loaded and trying to keep in the picks that you have I, I feel kind of lock and loaded. Like at this point, I gave up what I gave up to get like five elite players to, to start my roster. Um, I Obviously, I would love to have at least one pick in that, you know, fourth to sixth round. But I know I would have to give up quite a bit. Um, but I, I'm not sure. Like, I know that depth is important, especially how we're doing a super flex league, which we're all new to. Uh, but since we're going to have nine starters, uh, you really need the depth. And I don't know if I'll be desperate for depth when we are in the slow draft. And if I'm going to try to, you know, maybe try to get one or two picks up and give up two picks later on type of thing. Um, or we see the opposite, like let's say somebody like Steve, who doesn't have much in the first couple of rounds, but has a lot of picks in that middle range and might want to give up a couple of those to move on up himself. And I I think we're going to see that as we see managers maybe start to panic when they start seeing how their rosters are filling out and they don't like it. And then you start seeing maybe those type of last minute trades. And that's where we're going to see kite management judgment. What are you, what we're going to see there and what's going to happen? Cause you're going to be on a time strain time limit and people are going to pull the trigger on maybe trades that might not actually look well. I think the best advice is maybe just pick your team, fill out the roster. Don't do anything that too crazy. And then you have lots of time afterwards, but I think we're going to see if we saw this much movement in the pre-draft, I think we're going to see a lot during the draft and primarily in the first 10 rounds, maybe 15 rounds. And then after that, it's probably going to be a dry desert. Yeah, like I'll, I'll put it out there right now. I'm very open to going full Belichick and just trading down forever and ever. So if anyone feels like they've got a guy they want while I'm picking, uh, hit me up. I'm I'm very open to to trading back. I, I, I love that Belichickian style. Although hopefully I can draft better than him because frankly his drafting is atrocious. His trades are great. His drafting is atrocious. Um, and I, I hope we get a lot of trades during the draft too, uh, just to give me some work to do uh, while the school year is out and I can kind of follow along. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how that all goes. Uh, and, and so with that in mind, I feel like I got a sense talking to you about uh, your outlook on the draft. 
But as we're thinking overall strategy and the players you're picking, are you are you looking win now? Are you favoring more, you know, two, three years down the line? Are you, are you going to try and strike a balance? Uh, what's what's your outlook here? Well, uh, I think mine's very clear that, like, because I drafted or I gave up picks to try to move on up, and now I have five picks in the first three rounds, I am trying to have the win now mentality. Um but I think I also have the mentality that I want to win now, but I want to set a good core of players for the next five years, let's say. Like, there's no secret. Like, I'm the second pick overall, you're the third. And because we're in a super flex, like, we're going to go for the top QBs. And, like, think about it. Like, we get a, a top QB that's going to be literally on our team for the next 10 years. Um, why not build around that now? Build around that now. There's a lot of young talent that is elite now. And will probably be elite, uh, or at least relative for at least the next five years. So it's a win now mentality, but the next couple of years. And let's be let's be real, kite. Uh, we are in a competitive league. We should all have the mentality of win now, regardless of this is dynasty. This is a, a this is a a new draft we're doing. It's not a rookie draft. Every single one of us should have a win now mentality. I can't agree more. You know, in the immortal words of my man Herm Edwards. You play to win the game. And, you know, I've, I've espoused that since day one. And, uh, you know, it, it's what drove me to create this podcast. It what drove me to do all this because I was so desperate to win eventually in our redraft league. Uh, you know, I just want to try and drop as many references to that as I can throughout every podcast that I am the champion of the redraft league. Uh, I don't know if you heard that, Mikey, but I'm the champion of the redraft league. Hey, you know what? And... For somebody, uh, you won it, and for somebody who has come, you know, second place plenty of times, you you definitely have felt that saying, if you're not first, you're last. You're darn right. You know, I know I know, I got married last year, um, but w- was was that maybe second fiddle to winning the fantasy championship? I mean, who can say? Who can say? It, it might be, but I have definitely, I think we both established, and the league can coincide that, we have had probably the best and will always have the best trophy handoff ceremony ever in both our leagues. Absolutely. Like those pictures, I, I you know, I think I need to adjust the, the signal group and make uh, the picture just me getting the trophy from you or something like that. I feel like I remember I posted that in the group and it didn't get nearly the traction it deserved. I, I was frankly kind of furious. Uh, so that just makes me want to talk about how I'm the champion even more on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of concur with you in a lot of ways uh, in terms of your overall strategy. Uh, and it makes me curious about like the guys that are going to be available kind of in that, you know, we'll, we'll call it the Steve tier now, like the four, five, six rounds. Because uh, I'm curious, you know, uh, there's a lot of things I'm curious about is like, our redraft league values running backs like they're golden gods. And I'm curious if Superflex will lead that to be the case with quarterbacks. So, you know, I'm curious if we're going to see like 9, 10, 11 quarterbacks go in the first round. Uh, you know, if guys are just really like, holy shit, we need our quarterback right now. Uh, you know, because I think it'll be pretty, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but I think there's probably going to be a 1, 2, 3 run on quarterbacks at the beginning. Maybe even 1, 2, 3, 4 even. So I'm curious I, I, if if that run continues into five and six, you know, with someone taking Kyler or Lamar right away, how much does everyone else get psyched out and start thinking, "Fuck, better take my quarterback right now"? And how much does that push the value of other guys down? 
And then how does that affect some more veteran talent at the skill positions like uh, your Derrick Henrys, your Dalvin Cooks, your Cooper Cups, your Devonta Adamses? Do those guys start to slip? And then can someone who's got a lot of those fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, can they assemble kind of a monster team that would like dominate in a in a redraft league, but maybe doesn't look so hot in the dynasty league? Like that, those are. I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts, a lot of different approaches, and you know it's obviously hard to say before the draft actually happens. Um, but I, I don't know how sold I am on either strategy. Like I might be tempted just to fill out my team with dudes exclusively over the age of uh you know 27 just because i i want to fucking win baby yeah i think everybody's mentality will be slightly different uh i i i think uh i think you are right that if they start if like let's say guys who are drafting in the tail end of uh of the picks in the first round if they start seeing you know four five six quarterbacks going off i guarantee you that's going to panic mode and they're going to need to take the next quarterback um and it can just tailspin that way but you're right that can happen and then it can push other guys down uh, regardless of of age and it, it makes it very tough to even put like a a derrick henry uh if you see him in the beginning of the fourth round not to take him uh regardless of how much workload volume and, and up in age he's getting uh so it will be interesting to see that dynamic in in this draft compared to our redrafts league yeah, so let's let's start getting more specific about some of the players that we're interested in. Uh, we're we're not going to focus on the first five rounds because I think we can all pretty much chalk it up to like who we're going to see go in those rounds. You know, Kimbert's not in this league, so we're not going to see three tight ends drafted by the same team uh, in the first five rounds. Uh, so let's we're going to focus on rounds six to ten, ten to fifteen, sixteen to twenty, and then twenty one down. Uh, and, and Mikey and I are each going to pick a guy that we've kind of spotlighted as guys that we think could be spicy, kind of big home run picks. Uh, and I'll start off by talking about kind of a, a, who I think is kind of a, a bit of a post-hype guy. Like he had, he, he was a big hype guy at the beginning of last season, had a big season to start with, and then tailed off with inconsistency and a bit of injuries, but who I think is in a real prime position to I don't even want to say bounce back because he still finished having a really great season last year, uh, but I think it's kind of been overlooked by a bit of recency bias. Um, I've got a lot of time for Mike Williams on the Chargers, who I think is just going to catch bombs all season from Justin Herbert. Uh, you know that that team is just stacked in general. I wouldn't be overly shocked if the Chargers finish with the best records in the NFL, just with all the improvements they've made on offense and defense. Uh, and I think Mike Williams is going to be a big beneficiary of that. I think he's just going to catch bombs all day and, you know, is, is 80 catches, you know, 1200 yards and 12 touchdowns out of the realm of possibility. I really don't think so. And for where he might be going in like the eighth to 10th round, Fuck yeah, I want that. That sounds like it's going to be a great pick. And and he's still young, too. I know he just signed a big contract, but he's still in his mid-20s. He's got a bunch of good years left in him. So so I've got a lot of time for Mike Williams. Am, am I, too, in the clouds for him, or is there some trepidation that you maybe have? Uh, no, and especially in this range, I, I think Mike Williams is, uh, to be honest, a value pick. Um there's a lot of bad stigma around Mike Williams because of the lack of inconsistent, uh, the lack of consistency he has. He either is a shadow or a ghost one day, uh, one game, or he can drop you thirty points on the next game. Um, 
but I think uh, last season he still had he was still double digits 50% of the time uh, which is still not bad and for where you're getting him in 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 the draft uh, if he stays in this uh, ADP like that's that's pretty valuable uh you know this offense is like you said only getting stronger herbert's on his another year keenan allen's getting older he's officially over that 30 year old range and he's gonna slowly or surely start declining i I can see that mike williams is as long as he can stay healthy he's gonna have an uptick in and reps and catches and probably targets in the in the red zone and and i can't see him not performing well it's more so of can he just be a little bit more consistent um and i i think that's a great pick i I, value doesn't mean he's going to be a superstar stud uh you know like a a top five uh, wide receiver in his position but for where he's being drafted i think you could get some good value there so, so who's your boy then? Who are you looking for in those rounds that you think might blow up? So somebody that I'm looking at, uh, unfortunately, because I gave up my four or five, six, I'm not even looking at the, at the six, seven range, uh, even though that seven, eight pick is pretty important for me. Uh, but someone that's a little bit lower than that going uh, on average around the ninth round right now is a young stud, Gabriel Davis from the Buffalo Bills. Uh, he's going into his third year. And I think he has the absolute opportunity of a lifetime to blow up on this offense. You know that while Josh Allen is clear-cut the one or at least a near two uh, QB, uh, minus his legs, he's still going to throw for over 4,000, 4,200 yards, multiple touchdowns. And it's not going to all go to digs, of course. And there's a lot of room now for him to have the opportunity to be the second wide receiver there now that... Um, Cole Beasley is gone and Emmanuel Sanders is, is pretty much non-existent at this point. He's a super young, talented wide receiver who, who has blazing speed um, and he has the absolute opportunity to, to so, show some presence there. And at his age in Dynasty and with Diggs getting older, he has a great opportunity to, to precede his value here. In the ninth round, I think this guy is a, is a great steal in Dynasty. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of time for Gabriel Davis. Any Anyone who could be one of the top two or three pass catchers for Josh Allen, who who seems set to be a top three QB in the league for the next five years at the very least, uh, you've, you've got to have a lot of time for that. Uh, and, you know, I was thinking through, like, man, like, you know, you mentioned the guys that are leaving, like Cole Beasley and uh, Emmanuel Sanders, how, you know, e- even they didn't have spectacular seasons last year, so I got worried thinking kind of like, Oh man, like the the secondary receivers in in Buffalo don't get a ton of action. But as I was thinking about it, I was kind of like, man, they didn't get a ton of action because I think Gabriel Davis was stealing a lot of it just during the season as like the fourth and fifth receiver. So now that he's kind of uh, on the depth chart moved up, you know, his his importance to the team has clearly uh, improved out there. Uh, So I think we could definitely see uh, a big burst out of Gabriel Davis, and we could see a pretty good return on his value uh, around that 9-10 range. Uh, So let's move our way further down the draft a little bit. Let's look at the rounds 11 to 15. Uh, Who are you targeting around there? Uh, Who's a guy that is of interest to you? So around this range, there's uh, there's a lot of pieces that we see here, maybe a little bit older wide receivers that people want to shy away from. There's just a cluster of tight ends uh, in this area. Uh, but somebody that uh, uh, was a shadow last year and 
absolute disappointment. Uh, he did get injured, but didn't do much when he was on the field uh, compared to his previous year that I unfortunately did draft uh, as well. Is none other than tight end Robert Tunyon. <laughs> I know, I know, Robert Tunyon. Uh, very non-appealing. It's like taking a sip of sour milk. Uh, just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But hear me out on him. He's still relatively young. He is a talented bat, uh, tight end. And he's really the only big body receiver that Aaron Rodgers has there. And he has a great opportunity here with an absolute, absolute huge amount of vacant targets that are now there for the taking. Uh, with Adam's... Uh, range of about 12 to 18 touchdowns that he used to get from Rodgers now need to be vacated. I can't see Tunyon not getting an uptick in receptions, yardage, and reaching that potential of the 10 touchdown range again. And you want to be like a top six uh, tight end in this league, you need to have that double digit touchdowns. And I think at this range, especially for tight ends, that's the type of 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 type of chance you want to take on a guy. And I can't see why Robert Tunyon doesn't have that upside. I'm going to ask you to follow me on a metaphor here a little bit and, and see if it tracks. I, I think Robert Tunyon is the Miller high life of tight ends. Uh, do, do you have any guess at what I mean by that? No, I have absolutely no idea. So I, I during my university years, I, I became a little bit enamored with the the beer Miller high life. I, I because you know it it's it's never your first choice. It's barely ever even like your fifth choice of beer. But like if you're at a house party, you're in college and you're desperate and you're like, man, I just I need another beer to keep going, and you open up the beer fridge. You're sifting through the Coors Light. You're sifting through the Kokanee. And then you find a Miller High Life there. Like, if it's me, I'm thrilled. I'm super happy. And I feel like Robert Tunyon might be that. Like, he's surrounded by a lot of Coors Lights in that range of the draft. And I think you might be, at, like, right on the mark talking about how he is just, like, it's hard to imagine who the hell else Aaron Rodgers is going to throw to. Like, I don't know if Sammy Watkins is going to turn back the clock. I don't have a lot of faith in Christian Watson. I don't think Randall Cobb has much gas left in the tank. And even though Tunyon's coming back from a pretty brutal ACL injury, like, who the hell else is going to catch passes out there? So I I thought a lot of time for Robert Tunyon. He's definitely the least sexy pick of the tight ends in that range. Um, but, but you know, big Rob out there. I think, I think he could be doing something out there. Yeah, he, he's, you know, he, he's... Just he could get the job done, you know. It's like you want to you want to drink. Uh, it's like when you're back in college, right? Like you don't have that much money, but you want to get drunk. You go for that old English. It'll get the job done. It's not great, but it'll get the job done. <laughs> old English. Uh, no one ever wanted to go to old English to get the job done. Old English was only ever there when you're playing Edward Forty Hands. No one, no one consciously chooses to drink old English. Okay, so um, maybe we're going a little bit more down the board. I was than gonna, like, Tanya. <laughs> I don't know who you'd compare old English to in this draft. I'm trying to think. Like, okay, that's that's the that we'll leave that open to interpretation for our for the listeners of the podcast. Who is the who is the old English of tight ends in this year's draft? Um, but on that range, I'm gonna go to another tight end as well. 
Uh, a guy who's definitely a lot more sexy, I would say, but probably comes with a significantly higher risk. Um, I'm going with my man out in Denver, Albert Okuegbunam, the de facto kind of starting tight end now out there, who, you know, spent the year playing behind uh, Noah Fant, catching, you know, noodle-armed balls from Drew Locke and, and, you know, safe passes from Teddy Bridgewater, and seemed like he had little path to really uh, demonstrating the full extent of his abilities. Uh, and then smash cut to a few months later, uh, you know, Noah Fant is gone, and guess who's around? Fucking Russell Wilson, top 10 quarterback in the league. Uh, you know, there's obviously passes to be caught from a lot of receivers out there. Uh, you know, you got Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, who himself I think is a great value pick. Tim Patrick, who might even be a good value pick, a guy that's been chronically just underrated the past two years. Um, but, I, you know, I, I hope that Albert O kind of steps up. I think he's got the tools to, you know, in a tight end premium league, I think he could be a really sneaky long-term value pick. He could really – if he establishes himself this year in a good connection with Russell Wilson, I think Albert – O can like really become a top 12 tight end, maybe even move into like that mid tier tight end one range with enough playing time. Uh, am I, am I too optimistic on his outlook or, uh, I mean, what, what are you thinking on him? Uh, he's an, he's an interesting pick. I think, uh, when you're at this range with tight ends, you want to either go with somebody like Tunyon who can have the poten potential upside of the touchdowns that can get them there, or you want to go with the young guns who, uh, especially for Dynasty, can get there as well. The upside is he doesn't have Fant there anymore, like you said. He's the big body. He'll be around the end zone, and he has obviously one of the best quarterbacks throwing the ball to him. The downside is... Uh, everybody has an upgrade of throwing the ball to them now, including those talented wide receivers. Uh, so we'll be curious to see how this plays out because he's young. He Is he going to get the targets his way? It might take time, uh, especially as we never really saw a strong rapport in Wilson's career with the tight end, a super strong rapport. We don't know if that was just Wilson himself, the type of player he is, or if that was the system he played in. Well, I guess we're going to find out. Um, but he, in this range i think he's a fantastic young tight end for sure yeah definitely and you know with, with going back to the the young guy well uh 16 to 20 uh i've got my eye on one guy uh who i you know he hasn't even played a snap in the nfl yet and already has the injury prone tag attached to him uh not even just injury prone but has already documented injury problems he might not ever play an NFL snap, quite frankly, uh, but the talent is there, and he's got a great situation, I think, ahead of him. Uh, I'm looking at rookie wide receiver Justin Ross, who is out there in Kansas City. Uh, all the draft gurus seem to say that this kid uh, is absolutely electric. Uh, you know, he's definitely John approved. A lot of electricity uh, for this kid. Amazing talent in university. Uh, I can't remember what the exact uh, injury prognosis he had, but he's got some sort of, I think, chronic issue that might limit him from ever even playing. But, you know, in round 16 to 20, if you're telling me there's a, a rookie with electric wide receiver talent who might be paired up with Patrick Mahomes for the next five to 10 years, 
fuck yeah, I'm in on that. Give me all the Justin Ross in the world. I'm, you know, I, you mentioned there may not be trading in those later rounds. I will absolutely trade up if I think Justin Ross might disappear because I, I have a lot of, uh, you know, I love my prospect porn. Justin Ross is a prospect porn guy for me. Uh, I'm looking out for him. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I think there's always an, a level of excitement when you have these young studs coming into the league, rookies. What can they do? Can they be the next Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or even Odell uh, back when his rookie year? Um, but you just got to remember there there is the other young stud there, Sky Moore, who's the other rookie. And it's still really really hard to get behind the fact of that specific offense and and Patrick Mahomes zoning in on what uh on, on any other guy than his main target yes uh Hill isn't there anymore uh but Kelsey is and he usually zones in on one more uh wide receiver it, it will just be interesting to see Mahomes filling out between uh feeling either Juju or, or MVS uh, Hardman's still there, these young stud uh, wide receivers, and seeing like much success. Like We've never seen a second wide receiver succeed in this offense, as crazy as it sounds, because there's absolutely an astronomical amount of uh, yardage that uh, is thrown with Mahomes, but yet it, for some reason, it never goes behind two, re- no more than two receivers. It, it, so it, it, it's really a very... It, pick that like we can see the prospect of the future something can happen especially in these later rounds but the chances of it actually flourishing it like it's still in my eyes uh just a sparkle in the sky uh with this type of offense that's being run all right so then i'm gonna i'm gonna put the ball back in your court then are you are you looking at a more uh pragmatic pick in the 16 to 20 range someone who you feel like has a, a guaranteed contribution are you are you looking for more twinkles in the sky who's who's your guy from 16 to 20 and also just as a quick caveat there too we're now officially past the point uh where mikey and i have had this conversation everything else we've talked about before in the previously unrecorded podcast everything from this point on is completely new to both of us uh so i'm curious to hear what mikey's gonna say here who do you have in the 16 to 20 rounds so there's still some curious names that come up in these rounds, and you went with somebody that is the twinkle in the sky, or you can say the 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 sperm that hasn't been ejaculated. <laughs> but I'm gonna go with somebody that has probably blossomed and matured a little bit, that can still you know flourish and have a good scent uh, for the next year or two to come. That could be still a little bit spicy. Uh, I'm going to go in this range. Somebody who is well thought forgotten about based off the injuries and the team he's been on. Uh, But I'm going to go with my boy Devontae Parker here that's been being drafted around the 18th round. He is on a new team now. He's this, this, this... this man who was on the fins goes to their ne- their nemesis, the New England Patriots. But he easily becomes the top wide receiver in this corpse to a young quarterback. Oh, who I, I think don't know if I go that far. Uh, I think so. I, I think he will become the top. Uh, as long as he stays healthy, he's the top wide receiver pick in this offense to a young uh, Mac Jones who's only going to get better. And, and I think in this range, like, I can I can go with somebody who is a little bit more experienced that uh, I can really dominate in the wide receiver position in that in that group there. 
I think your your Dolphins homerism is shining through in this moment to say that Devonta Parker is going to step in and be the top wide receiver in New England. I mean, just from like a sheer talent standpoint, like maybe, but I don't even think I'm sold on that because I mean, Jacoby Myers is definitely their big slot guy. He's I think he's obviously target number one for Mac Jones. He had a great rapport with Nelson Aguilar as the year went on. Had a lot of big bombs from him. I I can still see the idea that Devonta Parker, um, you know, might actually struggle to even get on the field uh, out there. But I do I do definitely see the upside that you're seeing because yes, D- Devonta Parker was a guy who was a highly productive wide receiver, uh, save for injuries and, you know, maybe a noodle arm to a tag of Iloa. Uh, so like, I, I, I get where you're coming from and I don't think it's a bad pick in that range. Cause obviously, you know, every pick in the 16 to 20 range has massive risk involved in them. That's, that's why we're going that deep in the draft. Um, but I can get behind that idea for sure. The idea that he could be somehow a, uh, you know, a, a good wide receiver in that Patriots system. You know, it's Mac Jones, so I'm a little bit nervous about, you know, what the ceiling could be for him. But you know what? Is it impossible for Devonta Parker to finish as like, you know, a, a WR3 for the next two, three seasons? I, I don't think so. There's a universe where that's happened. You know, Doctor Strange is going through and going through the multiverse, and he's seeing those universes. So, yeah, I, I have no problems with that pick. I think it's a little bit interesting. Yeah, I, I think at this range, remember, we're not trying to find home runs that are going to be WR1s this season or for, you know, ones in their in their respective position. Uh, but he can be a... You want to find people who can still contribute to being maybe a flex pick or somebody you can slot in if you have an injury. And I think Devontae Parker can can fit very cozy in that in that type of role on your team. Yeah, so let's, let's go into the... Uh... The real doldrums of the draft here. We're looking at rounds 21 and down. Uh, is there anyone in this range that you're excited about? Is there anyone who you're like, fuck yeah, I'm targeting this dude. I hope I get this dude. I will be upset if I don't. Oh, it, it, it's, a, it's a very bleak, uh, uh, you know, area and range that we're at now. You can almost see the uh, tumbleweed drifting by as you get to this range of the draft. Oh, the tumbleweeds are are blowing. Uh, there's actually nothing blowing. It's just sitting there in the hot sun. Just <laughs> there's no air at all. <laughs> there's no air at all. It, this is going to be the most torturous part of the slow draft. It's <laughs> really going to be just at the end of it. Um, but unfortunately, you know, there are some sparkles in this area here that can contribute to your team. <laughs> there's sperm trickling around out there. <laughs> uh, but there is one tight end. And I will go with the tight end Ooh, once again. Sperm in the tight ends. That uh, that could you could take a shot on, and that's gonna be our boy Cameron Brait from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ooh, he's a he's a he's a he's an old fellow now at the at the age of thirty. Uh, but he, depending how the off season continues to go, he still has the potential to be the top tight end in a Tom Brady offense if Gronk doesn't resign. And who wouldn't want to take that type of potential or upside in this type of range uh, that we're talking about? Yeah, I hear you. Why not? Uh, you know, in those doldrums, Cameron Brait, I like he's he's even less sexy then Robert Tunyon, you're just like picking like the biggest, most blockheaded white dudes possible. Uh, for but you. but not the old English, right? That, yeah, you know what? That's what it is. I think Cameron Bright is definitely the old English. At the very least, he's the Colt 45. 
uh, of the the tight end crop. But yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, if, if Gronk's not back there in Tampa Bay, why the hell wouldn't you want the top tight end out there? Because, uh, you know, Antonio Brown is gone. There's, you know, plenty of targets to go around without Gronk there. Hell yeah, give me some of Cameron Braid. I can get behind that. Uh, for myself, I, I'm sticking with the white dudes as well. Uh, you know, I'm going to shout out to our former league member, member uh, Victor Bayada. Uh, he's going to love the pick I've got here. I've got White Lightning Braxton Berrios on my radar, really deep into the rounds. I think he could be a really kind of interesting, like, uh, you know, should an injury happen in that New York Jets receiving core? Uh, I think he could slot in really nicely as kind of a slot guy. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to Elijah Moore. And I, oh, is it Drake London who went out there? I hope I'm right on that because I keep for, I, I don't remember where all those wa- rookie wide receivers went, but I know they got a new big fancy one. Uh, you know, Braxton Berrios, White Lightning out there could be a forgotten man. Uh, he helped me to the fantasy title last year, so I've got some of that recency bias in my head. I just had him on the team, and he picked up. A, he had a couple. I think he finished the year with double digits. Uh, to you know, in weeks uh, 16 and 17. So yeah, give me Braxton Barrios, just a legacy pick. I love him. Yeah, like Braxton Barrios himself is like, who wouldn't love somebody that's called Braxton? You know, <laughs> uh, like he, you know what he is? He's like a mix. He, Braxton Barrios is your Buffalo Bills fan that's going through the table. You just gotta love somebody like that, right? <laughs> like great guy, you know, great name. He would go through tables, crush a crush a Labatt's blue. Why not? The only thing is, is that he's is oddly in a very crowded wide receiver corpse there when they just drafted their like you said london and then they obviously have denzel mims and they got their other young uh, rookie wide re- uh, now sophomore uh wide receiver and Corey davis as well and uh we really have no idea uh how their quarterback's going to be uh in his sophomore year him, uh, himself zach, well, uh, zach, zach wilson zach wilson just hit puberty he's gonna have a great year this year yeah, so we'll see. You know, in puberty, we'll we'll see. He still have his ups and downs. Uh, so yeah, but you know what? It, it might not be. Actually, I was gonna say it's not the sexiest pick, but come on, look at this guy's face. It Are you kidding me? Pick. Braxton yeah. Barrios is I, an incredibly sexy pick. I, I think with just the name, you got to take him in the 25th or 26th. You just have to, or even your last pick. If he's still there, you just got to have him just because you want him on your bench. He, he'll, be, he'll be the guy that will root the bench forward, pump him up, you know? <laughs> uh, I like that pick. It's, it's not bad. You know, I will say, as a guy who lives out on the West Coast, I don't know if this has happened so much uh, back in Ontario, but there are far too many names like Braxton uh, out here that I encounter as a teacher. Way too many X's in names where there don't need to be X's. Uh, so so Braxton itself as a name isn't as, as wide for me. Um, but you know what? I still love the man. He's a, I think he's a good sleeper. Uh, now let's, let's go the opposite end now. I, I'm sure we're starting to, we're, we're getting a little bit long in the tooth here on this pod. We got a couple more topics to hit on. Uh, let's talk about guys who we are avoiding, uh, guys who we don't want at any cost, uh, in this draft. And I'm going to start off. I've, I've always been a dude who has come out pretty strongly as not wanting bad karma on my team. I don't want child beater karma. I don't want uh you know sexual assault karma i don't want woman beater karma and even though he's projected to go in the first two rounds of our draft 
Uh, I'm staying the fuck away from Deshaun Watson. Uh, I'm not sold that that dude isn't going to prison. I'm not sold that that dude, maybe maybe not going to prison. I'm not sold that the NFL isn't going to drop the Ray Rice ban hammer on him and kind of kick him out, even after all the draft capital that the Cleveland spent for him. Uh, I just don't want that bad karma. I don't want to have to deal with Deshaun Watson and think about Deshaun Watson and root for Be- Deshaun Watson. Because uh, by all accounts, it kind of seems like he's a real big piece of shit. Uh, so I'm I'm hard out on Watson there. Yeah, I uh, Watson's obviously a talented quarterback, but do you really want to have uh, a bag a bag full of shit on your team uh, and take that chance? Uh, there's always that wild card chance that he can get suspended. Um, I, I, at that high price range, I don't want to take that risk or that chance. I, I agree with you there. Uh, there's a lot of other quarterbacks in that range and his range of outcomes that you can very much take that can have the same production with the with not that type of risk. I hundred percent agree. Um, is there you know doesn't you don't have to stay on quarterback? Is there another player who you are staying away from? Anyone that you don't really uh, have a lot of interest in? Yeah, uh, it's a wide receiver who has always been, he's an uber-talented wide receiver. Uh, He's still being drafted really high, which I don't think you're going to get the value of where he's being drafted this year. And that's A.J. Brown. Uh, A.J. Brown is a absolute uber-talented wide receiver, and we just saw him get drafted to, or sorry, traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. But I'm not betting or not betting on the player. I'm not betting on the team and the quarterback. Um, Hertz is a great quarterback, but he is not a good thrower. And he does not throw much. He throws less than Baltimore Ravens does in their offense. Uh, and I'm not going to bet. Like AJ Brown's biggest downside with Tennessee was just the volume. And uh, he had one of the most accurate quarterbacks uh, who throws out of the slot, Tannenhill. Um, throw for him. Hertz is not that. I don't think AJ Brown's going to get the volume he needs to be where he's getting drafted. I think Hertz, they drafted him for Hertz to be a better throwing quarterback, but I don't think we're going to see that, in my opinion. And then you also have uh, uh, the other wide receiver, the sorry, the sophomore wide receiver as well. That was really good. What's his name again? Sorry for. I'm missing him right now. Is it Devontae Smith? Yeah, Devonta Smith is the other guy. He's he's on my list as a stay away too. Yeah, I I I think you just want to stay away from both of them, and not because they're not talented players. It's just from where they're going drafted. I can't see you getting the same value back at the round you're going to be drafting these guys. Yeah, I I tend to agree as well. Um, it, it's it's a hard one because you can see both sides of this one really clearly. Like, there's definitely the downside. Because, you know, who knows if Jalen Hurts has that great an arm? Who knows if Philly is going to throw that much because they were most successful when they were running? Uh, there's a lot of, you know, hard things to predict there. But then you also see the other side where it's like, holy shit, you've got an uber-talented Jalen Hurts and an incredibly talented A.J. Brown and an incredibly talented Devonta Smith and a greatly talented Dallas Goddard. And at a certain point, you just think, holy shit, there's so much talent here. God, everyone's going to put up monster numbers. So, like, it's it's an interesting one. I, I love where you're coming from because I think that's a really – I think that's going to be a really divisive pick uh, this year. So I'm so glad that you talked about him. I'm really excited to see what happens to A.J. Brown because he could be a league winner. He could be, like, a, a, a perennial 
league winner if things play out right out there. Like that that whole Philly offense itself, I think, is just like such a influx. Uh, there's there's a lot of risk reward with that entire offense out there. Uh, and, and thinking about the NFC East too, another guy that I'm staying away from, primarily just for the vibes. Honestly, like I don't know if I have a cogent reason uh, to not like this guy, but I'm going to talk about Antonio Gibson. But the thing with Antonio Gibson is that like you know the, there was always weird injury vibes around him throughout all of last season. And even with all that, it just doesn't feel like they, they drafted a guy named Brian Robinson, or I don't know if they drafted or just he was an unsigned free agent. They brought him into the fold. They brought in Jarrett Patterson last year. It, it all feels like the commanders don't really love Antonio Gibson, even though they also give him a ton of volume. It's a weird, like, we have to do this because we don't have anyone else, but maybe we do have someone else at this point. So I just I just think the vibes on Antonio Gibson are off. And I could be wrong. Maybe Antonio Gibson goes on to become like a top 10 running back the next few years. But I, I just don't like the vibes. I'm out. What Are, are you uh, an Antonio Gibson fan or are you are you more on my end of the spectrum? I would normally say I wouldn't be an Antonio Gibson fan, uh, just because when you see multiple injuries happening to a running back, and especially at that position, it usually is a trend that will continue. But, though, the trend that can continue, Kite, that is exciting, is Wentz had the RB1 last season on his team, could he potentially have the RB1 again on his team this season? Stay tuned to find out. Wentz, taught, like Wentz literally handing that ball. He might be not good at throwing it, but he can hand it off. Sure, good. And that's what happened <laughs> to Jonathan Taylor last year. So can Antonio Gibson get that lucky touch this year? Who knows? Uh, it's the Wentz it. magic, baby. It's all. It was all just Wentz and how good those handoffs were. That's what really propelled Jonathan Taylor to becoming RB one. You know what? I like. I like the. I like the argument, Mikey. I'm on board. You've got me back on <laughs> uh, the Antonio Gibson bandwagon. The good vibes are back. He just moved up. He just moved up three rounds because of that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm taking him one three now. I don't care. Taking him one three. <laughs> Uh, okay, give me give me one more guy who you're not super into. I know we both have like a big uh, range of guys we could talk to, but I, I, I'm I'm frankly getting tired now too. Uh, so give me one more guy <laughs> you're interested in talking about. Uh, I'm gonna stick to the high end um, wide receiver range, uh, and especially because we're talking about the redraft. Oh, we're talking about redraft at this point, right? Either, frankly, it could be redraft, could be dynasty. Up to you. Okay, uh, I guess we've been talking for so long, it's kind of just murked and went together. Uh, yeah. But something that's still going really high in the draft that I completely want to stay away from is DK Metcalf. Um, obviously, he's a talented wide receiver, but to be honest, I want to stay completely away from that offense this year. The fact that Wilson's not even there anymore, uh, I think you got, what, Drew Locke throwing the ball now uh, to them? Um uh, that's already a run-heavy offense. Pete Carroll's still there as uh, 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 running that offense. I, I just we saw DK Metcalf have ups and downs last year already with Wilson, and I can't even imagine uh, that he won't be able to sustain his value with Drew Locke now throwing him the ball. Uh, so I personally, same thing as AJ Brown, it's somebody I would take. I would stay away from. Not because he's not a good, talented wide receiver. You're just not going to get the value you're going to be drafting that pick from. 
Yeah, I wonder if DK Metcalf kind of tends to become, you know, like the new age Allen Robinson a little bit. Guy who's like just immensely talented, but might just be stuck playing for coaches and teams that have absolutely dog shit quarterback play. Uh, Shout out to the Chicago Bears. Uh, And just like really tanks a dude's fantasy value. The counterpoint to that, though, is that once Russ went down and Geno Smith came back, DK's numbers didn't take too severe a hit. Like, he was still getting targeted like crazy. He was still catching a lot of passes. I, I actually am on the opposite spectrum. I'm I'm liking the fact that DK's value has taken a hit, obviously, with uh, the change of quarterback. And, you know, we can fa- factor that into what he's doing. But, I mean, there's few wide receivers, if any, that have his physical talents. Like, his combination of blazing speed and size like i still think back to like that fucking uh rundown tackle he did to stop the pick six in that arizona game like i don't think there's another player in the league who does that uh and it's hard to bet against just physical freakness like that as well like he's a a good route runner at the same time like if if he can be a productive wide receiver with geno fucking smith uh, I still have a lot of time for DK Metcalf, but I definitely understand the uh, the fears about his production. So if we're going to go with players in that range, tell me your 3-2-1, okay? Would you go with Stefan Diggs, DK Metcalf, or Tyreek Hill? I think I'm taking Hill third. I, I, I like Hill the least, um, not only just because of uh, woman beater karma, uh, but also because I don't necessarily love the Miami situation. Uh, I, you know, I've talked to you about how I'm kind of lower on Miami than most folks this year. Uh, so I, I don't love that. Uh, honestly, a bit of a toss up between them. I kind of like Diggs. Obviously, he's, he's older, so he's got a, he's a bit more long in the tooth and in a much better situation. Um, so I think I would probably take Diggs before Metcalf. Uh, but it would be it would be close. It would be a hard decision to make, honestly. Okay, interesting. So if if we want to if we want to rephrase it in a certain way, um, I would fuck uh, DK Metcalf. I would marry Stefan Diggs, and I would kill Tyreek Hill. Okay, that's that's that's. I feel like that's, that's language clarity. you understand better. Yes, that's that's way more clarity. <laughs> so let let's start to talk about just redraft a little bit here, because I mean. You know, it's it's definitely not the sexy draft. We don't even have a date set yet for the redraft league. So, you know, who's even thinking about it at this point? Um, but, I, you know, the, the, the big decision we have coming up is keepers. You know, for myself, uh, I feel like I'm pretty locked into the guys who I'm going to keep. I, and I don't really feel too, uh, you know, nervous about announcing that. I Unless something drastic happens, I'm probably keeping Brandon Cooks and Josh Allen. I, I'm sure you have your own thoughts, too, about guys that you're keeping. Uh, is there any team in the league that you are curious about kind of what they do uh, for their keepers? Uh, before we get into that, uh, just to comment on on your picks, uh, Brendan Cook's fantastic, in my opinion. I think he's a great value. Um, and if you don't mind me, uh, refresh my memory, uh, where would you be getting him in replacement of this year? Uh, Brandon Cooks, I selected him in the eighth round last year, so I'd be getting him as a seventh round pick, which is, so it won't be like monumental value, 
But, you know, if I'm giving up 7-12, like the 84th pick in the draft to uh, take Brandon Cooks, I think he's going to outperform that value still next year. So that that's why I'm I'm happy taking him. Yeah, and I, I think that's still good because he's he's a he's in that like WR two range, and in the seventh round year, that's still that's still good value. Yeah, I agree. So like, I'm I'm all in on him. And again, any keepers I would have had, like you know, I, I, everyone was talking shit last uh, last winter about me trading away Rashad Bateman in that trade with Nick. Looks really fucking good now that Marquise Brown is gone and Bateman is the de facto number one wide receiver in Baltimore. So, uh, you know, any good keepers I had, you know, if I just kept my team, I may not have won the championship, but I would have had Jamar Chase and Rashad Bateman lining up one, two for the rest of my life. Uh, so that would have been pretty nice. Uh, but, you know, flags fly forever. That's how I roll. Yeah, and I think the same goes with me and, and, and my trade that I made with Taras that caused a big stirrup in our league. Uh, uh, obviously, things needed to play out perfectly, which in my opinion, it did. Um, but, you know, my keepers is going to be uh, Pity City, uh, Michael Pittman, and Leonard Fournette. And the reason why I say it worked out is, uh, you know, Pittman got an upgrade in quarterback with uh, Matt Ryan now throwing the ball. And uh, Fournette's coming back to Tom Brady, tossing him the ball, and there's no competition with Jones anymore. Now, is Tom is Tom Brady as good at handing off the ball as Carson Wentz is, though? No, but Tom Brady is significantly better at tossing and lobbing the ball <laughs> to him than Wentz is, in my opinion. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah. Um. So I I I, I kind of had a little bit of a conflict of if I was going to take uh, Pity City or even Burroughs as my pick, uh, but I think after Ryan signed with the Colts, it kind of made me feel more confident in taking Pittman, uh, as I think, inst- uh, which would be like a seventh round pick, I believe, as well. Yeah, that's definitely reasonable. I I would. If I, I would definitely rather have Michael Pittman than Brandon Cooks in the sec in the seventh round. Maybe not by a billion, like by a light year, but it's definitely a better pick, I think. Yeah, so I, I might have you know I might have sacrificed a bit last season to get those uh, keepers, but uh, I think I'll be in a pretty good position when we draft coming August. So, is there a team then that you're intrigued by in terms of like who are they going to keep? Is there any kind of big question marks that you're seeing around there? Um, I think every team has a couple of question marks. Uh, one that uh, we'll be curious to see is is Andre's team. He did a massive trade last year to get Cooper Cup and and um and Stafford. Yeah. And I I won't I I can't believe he's gonna try to keep Stafford, but a hundred percent he's gonna keep Cooper Cup. Who wouldn't? Especially at the value he's gonna get him at. Uh, but he has some interesting picks. To, he's gonna have to think about there. He has uh, obviously Kyle Pitts there, uh, who's a top tight end prospect. He has Amon St. Brown, and, and Elijah Mitchell. The interesting part with that is. Who do you take out of that bunch? Like Pitts is obviously a young, talented tight end, but we saw ups and downs last season with Ryan, and now you get a significant downgrade with Mariota throwing him the ball. There's no Calvin Ridley this whole season to kind of help offset and take some, uh, uh, you know, the defense uh, pressure away from him. So now there's a huge risk of seeing Pitts almost getting double teamed. A lot this season which is obviously going to probably downgrade his play a little bit like do you take your chances in a redraft uh keeper league 
taken Pitts at a high-valued pick? Or do you go with somebody more like an Amon St. Brown or an Elijah Mitchell? So I'm kind of curious to see who he's going to take as a second pick there as his keeper. Yeah, for sure. It's like, I, I like what you you mentioned Pitts as like a, having a major downgraded quarterback. I'm curious how much of a downgrade Mariota is really going to be compared to, to Ryan. Because uh, I think, he, you know, I don't have as much faith in Matty Ice as I do. Uh, maybe you do. Uh the thing I do know about Andre, though, is that if there's one thing that man loves, it's a 22-year-old athlete. Uh, he just loves his young athletes. And I, I don't know if he's going to be willing to spend a third-round pick to keep Pitts, but if someone was going to, it could be him. Uh, I My gut, though, says Mitchell, uh, just because so, I know he was a waiver-wire pickup, so that means he's treated as an eighth-round pick, which I believe means he gives up a seventh-round pick to keep him. And as a guy who is looked projected to kind of be the lead dog in San Francisco. Not as much, uh, you know, controversy out there right now regarding who might be sharing touches since Mostert is gone. Uh, you know, I if I had to bet on a horse out there, my bet would be that Andre's keeping Mitchell. Uh, but I could see arguments for all three, definitely. And I, I kind of feel the same way about it. another team, too, who has, you know, a lot of decisions to make. You know, I was I was looking at John's team as we were do before this podcast, and I was looking through, and I was kind of like, "Huh, does John keep anyone?" I'm not sure if there's a guy on John's <laughs> team that he's gonna want to keep, and that's not even necessarily like the idea that John's team is you know bad or anything like that. Granted, it did you know he John made the playoffs, he had a good team, but I don't know who's there that he's actually gonna want to have on his team next year, like. You know, OBJ maybe like I like could be Hunter Renfro. I'm kind of down on. I don't really feel that strongly about him. I don't think Darren Waller is going to return there. So I'm I'm curious if John keeps anyone, and maybe he just goes in with a clean slate and says, you know what, did well last year, got some bad injury luck with Derrick Henry. Let's uh let's fuck around and find out in the draft. Is there is there anyone in his team that you think he might try and keep around? So the interesting is, even though we are now technically in a keeper league, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if you don't keep anybody. Like you have, you're just literally trading that keeper for uh, a, an an option, <laughs> so that you can still draft well if you uh, instead of having a keeper. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you know having a nice clean slate and and completely having a new revamp team with a uh, team without any keepers. Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, he had Mike Evans on his team, right? He does, yes. Mike Evans, who he would be keeping in the, he would have to be giving up a mid third round pick to keep Mike Evans, which is which is expensive, um, but you can you can always bet on him. Uh, he's uh, always had a thousand yards. He's still the touch uh, the end zone threat, and the fact that we have no idea when Godwin's gonna con- uh, con- come back, and obviously Gronk as well. Uh, Evans, in the first time in a very long time, can be the clear-cut wide receiver for Brady, um, even though he's hyping up Gage. And I think that alone is maybe puts him in contention for a keeper. Interesting. I hadn't really considered that, but I like where your head's at. That's definitely an option for John, for sure. Um, you know what? We're at this point of the pod now where I think we're going to start ramping it down. 
Is there anything else, Mikey, that you feel like we should touch on in Dynasty, in Redraft? Is there anything you want to put out there for us? So, I've been waiting to drop this bomb for the whole entire night, which feels like it's been a long night now so (laughs) so far. Um, It's a proposal to the league, which could be either league, because we have transitioned to a keeper league. and it's something I think that can be really spicy and can kind of change a little bit of the dynamic of the league, but in a very positive way. So we've been playing fantasy for uh, a long time now. We can say close to a decade, right? If I'm not mistaken. It's. I think it's been almost a decade. I think it might be a decade this year. It was a decade last year. And for the most part, uh, we see the same managers stay in and be committed. We have some changes here and there, and, and, and that happens, right? Not everybody can commit uh, long-term to it. But we've always seen a very orderly fashioned uh, 12, uh, 12 managers, 12 teams uh, go 1 through 12. We see the top six make the playoffs or the top eight. Uh, but I have heard this and I saw this and I thought this would be absolutely fantastic to include in our very competitive league or leagues. But introducing divisions into our league. We divide our league into three divisions of four teams each. And what this will introduce is now fantasy rivalries. We have actual rivalries amongst our managers. And this can spice things up. Three divisions, four teams in each division, competing head-to-head two times throughout the season. You start the season off with the first three games being amongst your own division, and you finish the season off against the, uh, the last three games amongst your own division. That can spice things up when you want to compete for the playoffs, that you go head-to-head against somebody for that playoff spot. And it can also change things up in the trade, uh, trade market. Would you want to trade with somebody that's in your division? Maybe not. Who knows? I think that is a realm that would be interesting to maybe dive into. What are your thoughts on that, Kite? Man, you've, I, I did not see that coming. I, I honestly, you know, you told me you had a spicy idea, but I, I, I really didn't see uh, what that was going to be. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm not going to lie. Because I'm trying to think just, like, numbers-wise. Yeah, we would have enough games in the regular season to do that. Because I think we average now, uh, what is it, 14 games in the regular season. So that means Correct. if we have 11 teams, yeah, you have three extra games. So those three leftover games you could have all against your division. I guess the question might be, like, how do you see the playoffs looking? Is it just, like, a simple... Uh, you know, six teams, which is like the top two in each division. Do you introduce, uh, you know, a seventh and eighth team for high scoring teams? What, 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 what how do you see that working? So, we currently have uh, what's our redraft right now? The top eight, redraft top, is eight. top eight, yeah, yeah. So, uh, typically it would be the top two in each division going through, and then uh, it goes obviously the first place is the top three, and then it goes accordingly. And then you can do it in a number of ways that we can vote in as a league. It could be the best record top two uh, or third place teams that finish seventh and eighth, or it could be points four or whatever we'd like to vote on, but it would definitely be uh, the best two teams in a certain category that aren't the top two. And then the bottom four. Uh, the worst third place team and the 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 
bottom four teams or the fourth place teams battling out for the toilet bowl. Um, and that would typically kind of be how that format would work. Top two in each division makes the playoffs and then uh, the best of the worst uh, can creep in as, as the wild cards. Okay, that's a, a lot of food for thought. I don't know how, how I feel about it. I I have trepidation about throwing it into the Dynasty League to start with, especially since we've already established it. But adding it to redraft could add a new level of spiciness because that's where we've had players facing off against each other for a long time. And I know, I, you know, if I got stuck in a division with Taras, I think we would just come to uh, to hate each other even more. Uh, for all this, I think it'd be like a very Boston Toronto type of thing with uh, Taras being Boston, me being Toronto. Um, but uh, I don't know. Okay, I'm I'm interested. You know what, listeners, let us know in the respective group chats or, you know, other listeners not in the group chats. Send your thoughts to Paul since he's the only other uh, liaison between us all. Uh, you know what? Let us know what you think. I'm I'm curious about this. I'm not. I'm not immediately against it, um, so I'm willing to talk about it. Uh, I'll leave that out to everyone. Uh, I just know that I'm really excited for Dynasty to start. I'm excited to do some drafting and some prep now after that starts up for redraft. Uh, I'm excited to be flying home to Ontario in a couple weeks, and maybe we can do a live uh, Dynasty draft pod in person with some of our league members. And hell, even maybe some non-league members if they want to have a couple beers and talk fantasy football. Um, but yeah, man, there's a lot to be excited about this year. You excited? I'm excited. Oh, I'm pumped. Maybe we'll do it live during the Jays game. Fuck it, we go live. We'll do it live! Fuck it! <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about this year. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, Mikey, I think it's time to sign off. This has been a goddamn marathon. Uh, you know, we've we've had to re-record this bad boy. We've both, I think, made dinner plans in the middle of this podcast. Uh, we've been we've had a lot that's been going on. So I really appreciate you sticking it out. And I hope to God I don't fuck up and uh, fail the recording. You know, uh, I think the true listeners out here, uh, w- we will know right away if they listen to the whole thing, if they actually do respond about the divisions or not and that's when we're gonna know uh, yeah. who our true listeners are and if i don't see you respond you're dead to me i don't ever want to talk to you or hear from you again pretty much <laughs> so folks with that in mind uh we'll be talking to you probably again in the next couple of weeks thinking about how the dynasty draft is going uh getting prepped also for redraft as well but until that time keep crying There's just a cluster of tight ends.